things Jesus said. That's what we're going through, right? We've got uh, a couple more weeks in this. And, and, uh, and the intent of this is for us to reflect on what Christ has said in his word and see what that... See what that means for us, right? Because it's easy for us to grab the things that are easy, right? And we like those things. In fact, the world likes those things, right? They grab the Sermon on the Mount and all these great loving things that Jesus said, and they take the easy things, and they're like, yeah, we like this Jesus that's just a guy, um, but that's not our Jesus. Our Jesus is our Savior, our Lord. He's the Son of God. And so for us, we are diving into Scripture and going, Man, if this is what he said, what are the implications of that for us? So let me ask you a question. We'll start off here in hypotheticals. Do you believe you're forgiven? I mean, really. Like, every sin that you've committed, how about this? How about every sin that you might commit in the future, are you forgiven? It's a tough question, and I, and I think for some of us, it, it, you know, it may be an easy answer, but for some of us, it may be a very difficult answer. Perhaps you have something in your history, and you're like, man, I, I, I know that God can forgive, like I understand that conceptually, but I just don't know about this, and maybe that's been a roadblock to your faith, or maybe, maybe there's something, or maybe you sit here and you wonder if you're a youth, and you're, and you're like, you know, I don't know what life has in store for me. Might there be something I do in the future that casts me outside of God's forgiveness? So here's, here's the short summary, and what we're going to find at the, as we go through all this is, yes, you are absolutely forgiven. There is nothing that you can do to move yourself outside of God's forgiveness, Okay, I, we need to grasp that. We need to understand that. And that's not because you deserve it, right? And we can go down the, the theological thought train and go, your forgiveness is true and that your forgiveness is valid because Christ is true and Christ is real. And everything that Warner just said, he did on his own accord because he is our sovereign God. And so that begs the question then, have you ever heard of the unforgivable sin? Have you guys heard of it? Have you heard the, the term? Do you know where to go to in Scripture and go, yeah, except I think that there's a sin that God won't forgive. I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's a source of concern because you kind of go, well, what is that? And have, maybe, maybe I have committed that. <laughs> Or maybe, maybe that is in my future and, and I'm, I'm afraid of that because if there is an unforgivable sin and God chooses to not forgive something, well, that makes this relationship I have with God a little bit different. That, that creates a little bit of fear, a little bit of concern. And so this morning we're going to dive into what is that unforgivable sin. And I'll just wrap this all the way back around. I can tell you that God forgives all sin. And so we have, to, we have to connect these two and go, how does this work? And so that's my hope that we'll be able to do today as we, as we dive into Scripture and, and look at the words of Jesus and go, 
how does this apply to my life? So let me start by praying. Father, we thank you so much for the opportunity to open up your word. And I pray, Father, that, um, that as we do this, that it would be revealing to ourselves, that we would see you more clearly, that we would, that we would comprehend the relationship that you want with us. And that we would see you as a loving and caring father. I pray, Father, that this morning that you would cause us to come before you in worship as we read through these words. In the name of your son we pray. Amen. So we're going to be in Mark chapter 3, verse uh, 28 is where we're going to start. If you've got a Bible, you can turn over to it. It's also going to be on the screens. If you've got it on your phone, that's fine. You can turn that thing on as well. Um, I'm Jonathan. I'm one of the pastors here. So if I didn't get to meet you on the way in, please stop me. And uh, I would love to chat with you on the way out. Um, so let's dive in. Mark chapter 3, verse 28. Truly I say to you, this is Jesus talking, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. And whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. All right, so before we get into this, let's define blasphemy first, okay? Since that's not really something that we talk about all too often, right? What, what does he say in Mark 3, 28? All sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. And then he's going to go on and give an exception. So let's, let's, let's capture this word blasphemy. Blasphemy is slander. It's defaming the name of God. It's, it's attributing to God something that he is not. It's, it's typically verbal, but I would argue that if your thoughts are in that same path, it, it's blasphemy as well. So, so I'm going to break it down into three different categories, really, when we start talking about blasphemy. Blasphemy is, is attributing to God, or, or saying that God is against something he is actually for, Right? Blasphemy would be saying that God is for something he is actually against. We see this a lot, right? We grab a, we grab a political party or, or some little thing that we like, and we say that God, God's on our side. And, and that's not true, right? God's on his side. And so we start impressing upon God opinions and thoughts that, that we have that we really want our creator to agree with us. That's blasphemy. Blasphemy would be describing God in a way that, that doesn't, isn't true to his character. So to say that God it was simply a man is blasphemy. To say that Jesus is not the son of God is blasphemy. To, to defame his character and who he is, is blasphemy. So here's what's interesting about this is we, we get this from, part of this is from uh, the Ten Commandments, right? The third commandment, ex Exodus 27, do not take the Lord's name in vain. 
It's blasphemy. Why? Because what we're doing is we're reducing the character of God to an expression. And arguably, probably all of us have been guilty of this at some point in our lives. Right? And we, we hear it. Maybe we say it. And it just becomes a colloquial expression that we use in our daily verbiage. I mean, I would even go so far as to say, and some might debate this, and I'll, I'll leave that open, that's fine. But when you say, God bless you to somebody, when they sneeze, and you don't actually mean, I want God to bless you, you guys, like, we're, we're using the name of God, we're using the character of God in a flippant way. I mean, if you, if you go back, and even, even today, the Jews don't even write the name of God. In fact, if you, if you ever Google it, you'll see G-D, because they won't even write it. They won't type it on a type, uh, typewriter. I don't know. <laughs> it just came off. All right. And a keyboard, kids. Oh, yeah, whatever. All right. So right, they, they won't even write it. Why? Because there's a reverence. There's a reverence to the holy God that is our creator. And so for us, culturally, man, it's super convicting for me. And it probably is for you guys. And, and, and it's just kind of something that, it, it, it's blasphemous. But here's the great part. It's forgivable. It's forgivable. Look at what it says in 328. All sins will be forgiven the children of man, and whatever blasphemies they utter. Hold on to the exception. We're not there yet, okay? It, go back to Matthew uh, 12, 32. He, he actually is the exact same story. And Matthew's version of it is a little bit different. He, he actually says that um, whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. So what... So what Jesus is saying is that you can blaspheme the Father. You can blaspheme the Son of God, and you'll be forgiven. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, it's an eternal sin. I know I haven't helped us at all figure out what this is yet. <laughs> I get this. Okay, good. So, so here, here's what I want you guys to understand. If you use the Lord's name in vain... It's not, that's, that's not it, right? Like, that's forgivable. This isn't a problem of reverence. It's not. That's not what Jesus is saying here. It is not that if you don't hold God in some sort of high esteem, if you use his name in vain, you're cut off. That's not what he's getting at. So what is he getting at? All right, so let's, let's, let's dive into this a little bit more. So um, let's put it into context. Go back to Mark chapter 3, and we'll just back up a little bit, and we'll put it in the context of what's going on here. And look at what it says in verse 22. It says, And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and by the prince of demons he casts out the demons. So what we have here is Jesus is going around, he's healing, he's casting out demons, and the religious experts go to Jesus, and they go, his power 
what he's doing is actually the handiwork of Satan. That's what he's, this is what, this is the context that Jesus says this. So what we have is these, these, we know that Jesus' work was from the Holy Spirit, right? When he gets baptized, the father says, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And the spirit of God lands on him like a dove, right? Like, Like the Trinity is there at his baptism, the work of the Holy Spirit is in everything that Jesus utters and does. And so these scribes and Pharisees are saying, no, no, no. What we see the Holy Spirit doing in your life through you is the handiwork of Satan. And Jesus says, careful. Careful. You can, you can blaspheme anybody. But if you blaspheme the Holy Spirit, liable for eternal guilt. And this is what he says in verse 29, right? He says, whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Look what he says in verse 30. For they were saying he has an unclean spirit. So what they're saying is that Jesus is demon-possessed. And Jesus goes through, and you can, you can read through it, and Jesus like, gives them all sorts of logic. Like It makes no sense. That if I were under the, the power of Satan, I would be casting out the demons and the, the workers of the devil. Like, like, that doesn't make any sense, right? That's kind of Jesus' logic. But what, what we're concerned about here is, okay, then what is, what is this, right? I, I don't think any of you have watched, I mean, maybe this is presumptuous, but you, you probably have not seen a demon being cast out of somebody and said, hey, that's the handiwork of Satan, right? Like, so, so what's, what are we getting at here? What is Jesus trying to say? Before we do that, let's, let's get into what's the work of the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, the power to cast out demons is the work of the Holy Spirit, but the Holy Spirit does a lot of other things and things that are fundamental to our salvation. And that is where we're going to see Jesus is talking about. So go over to uh, John chapter 16, verse 7. It's, as Jesus is getting ready to depart, he's getting ready for the, uh, he's starting up the high priestly prayer. He's praying for his disciples, and he's praying for those who would believe through him. This is in John chapter 16, verse 7. And Jesus says, nevertheless, I tell you the truth, It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. And so the work of the Holy Spirit is is a lot. There's There's a lot of things that the Holy Spirit does. But this in particular... Conviction of sin is of eternal consequence, right? The Holy Spirit gives us power, gives us endurance. He even calls him the helper or the counselor, and depending on your version, they'll use other synonyms for him. And, and how he walks alongside us, he fills us, right? And he, and he walks alongside us in this world. But there's one thing that he does that is of eternal consequence. And that's repentance. That's conviction of sin. 
You get this, right? So the Holy Spirit is the power in you that leads you to repentance, that convicts you, that opens up your eyes to your, to your sin, that allows you to then repent, confess your sins, and to be forgiven. Let me walk you through that a little bit. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, Jesus, I don't have it up there, but in Ephesians chapter 6, uh, Paul goes through the armor of the Christian, right? And if you're, if you're a, a biblical nut and you know all of those different pieces of the helmet of salvation, or I don't even, actually, I don't even know if that's the right. Uh, I think it might be. I'm apparently not a biblical nut. Um, <laughs> helmet, shield, right? Like all these different things. What does he say the sword of the spirit is? <laughs> it's, it's, it's the word of God. That's the sword of the Spirit, right? So he, he's saying, like, as you are living your Christian life, the Holy Spirit is your sword, okay? We'll, we'll walk through this metaphor here in a second. But he says that that is the word of God, okay? So now turn over to Hebrews chapter 4. The author of Hebrews is going to dive into that. And listen to what he says. He says, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Exposes the intentions of our heart. This is the work of the Holy Spirit that is of eternal consequence. You guys get this, right? So, so as he's going through this, what he's saying is that what do, you, what do you do when the Holy Spirit does this work in your life? What do you do when your heart is slayed and split in two and the intentions are shown and you go, do you ignore and move on? Do you change the subject? Do you discard it? Or do you repent and agree with God? You see, those are, are two very different attitudes. Honestly, those are two different relationships with God. One, God is in service to you and your life. The other, you are coming before the throne of God, humbly submitting to him. And so when, when God lays bare your sins, we ought to become undone. Peter has this incredible time right, right after Pentecost, right? The Holy Spirit fills the disciples, and all the onlookers are like trying to figure out what's going on, right? And Peter has this incredible sermon. It's in Acts chapter 2, and we'll, we'll turn over there in a second. And he goes through, and what he does is he... he he ties what Jesus has been saying and what he's done to the word of God. He ties it to the Old Testament prophecies, and he explains it to him completely. It's in Acts chapter 2, verse 36. And listen to what he says. This is like the very end of it. And I want you to listen to what the people say and do. It says, let all the house of Israel, this is um, uh, Peter speaking, let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. 
Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. You see the expression that we're getting throughout all of Scripture? This idea of a sword slicing open our hearts and exposing it to us. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? How should we respond to this conviction? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Conviction, repentance, forgiveness. That's it. What do you have to do as a Christian to earn the favor of God? Agree with him. Repent. When, when your sin is exposed, repent. That's it. And God is faithful and just. And see, and this is, this is these, these people where Peter delivers this to them. What they, how they responded, we don't know. Presumably, some did. Presumably, some didn't. And said, that's great, that's nice. I'm sure that works well for you. But that's not really how I was brought up. That's not really my religion. And they moved on. And, and then what? And then they work to try to earn the favor of God for the rest of their lives and realize that there's not enough good deeds you could do to earn the favor of God. This is why this is so beautiful. This is why this is the good news. This is why this is the gospel, right? That's why we talk about this because you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is go, yeah, I'm jacked up. I agree, God. That's what repentance is. Repentance is, is turning and saying, I don't want to do that. Now, let me just stop for a second here. It doesn't mean you're going to stop right away. Because we're wicked and our hearts are perverse. And you may all totally know what I'm talking about. You, you probably do. If you don't, come see me because that means you're probably Jesus come back, right? I mean, that's the reality, right? Like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore, but I keep doing it, but I keep hating it. Okay, that's repentance. There's forgiveness for that. Whatever you do, all sins, all blasphemies. So what's the difference then? So John, in 1 John chapter 1, really uh, makes a very clear division between these two attitudes, these two ways of, of understanding this. In, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, he says, If we say we have no sin. Can everybody just acknowledge that we all sin? Are we all good with that? Right, we're going to take that as a foundation, a basis for our existence. So what's good about that is that doesn't put you in this category. Okay. If you, if you can't say that, or if you do say that, I don't, I'm not sure I have any sin. Um, we'll just stop here for a second. <laughs> you probably don't have a whole lot of people in your life. Friends, family, because 
The biggest refiner of our lives are those that are close to us. And in fact, that's how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. Through your spouse, through your kids, through your friends. Why'd you respond to me that way? Why do you think that of me? And you go, ugh, I don't know, because I'm horrible, <laughs> right? But if we're in our own little, own little island, we may think that we're the greatest thing since sliced bread. And so my question for you this morning is if you struggle with this, if you're like, man, I, I just I feel like I'm kind of on track, I would just challenge you. Not because, I, not because we're trying to force shame on you, okay? That's not what this is. It's trying for us to lay bare our hearts and go, really, how are we? Not how do we appear. Do you all look mighty fine, right? It's not that. I can't see any of your sin right now. That's not it. It's about how we, our, our emotions are bottled up and they come out often in our relationships. All right, so let me get back to the verse here. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, that's repentance. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All. So what do you have to do to earn the favor of God? Just <laughs> agree that you're sinful? Agree that you're rebellious? Agree that you have no ability to stop sinning? And agree that you need the salvation secured by our Savior on the cross. Like, we need Jesus' sacrifice. So let's tie this back together then. What is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? If these are the things that the Holy Spirit does and, and lays us open, what is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit? The blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is saying, yes, I see my sin, but you know what? I don't. I don't think that's God doing that. I don't think that's God showing me my sin. That's not the Holy Spirit convicting me of that. Let me just push that to the side. Let me move on. Because that's the problem, right? Because that makes you, that puts you in a place of unforgiveness. If you're not repentant, you're unforgiven. We're not talking about repenting of every single sin. You guys understand that, right? Like, we're not talking about specific sins here. We're talking about a life that de denies the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Without the work of the Holy Spirit, you are in a place that cannot gain forgiveness. So when you say, well, who is it that blasphemes the Holy Spirit? It's the people who deny the work of the Holy Spirit in their lives. People who, whose sins are laid bare and they go, that's not, that's not important to me. And I hope and pray that's not anybody in here. But let me, let me offer you this. There might be specific sins in, in each of our lives where we do that. Not in a, in a, not in a macro sense, right? Not in, not in our lives in general, 
But be honest with yourself. Be honest with God, because he already knows, right? What area of your life are you like, well, I've been convicted of this, but I don't, I don't think it's that big of a deal. If the Holy Spirit convicted you of it, Holy Spirit's God, it's a big deal. It's a big deal. And where do we want to be? We want to be in the conviction, repentance, forgiveness path. That's it. That's, that's the good news, right? And, and, this is, and let us just back up to the very beginning here and go, what an incredible God we have. There is nothing that you can do that he won't forgive. Go back, go back to Mark uh, 2.38. Sorry, 328. (laughs) Truly I say to you, all sins will be forgiven the children of man. All sins. All sins, you guys. This is our God. He forgives us even when we reject him, when we rebel against him, he forgives us. All we do is repent. That's it. What an incredible God he is. What grace. Just bask in that for a second. Because I I think we fall into a trap of thinking that we could do something that would lose that we would lose God's forgiveness. Or we think that one sin is more significant than another. And one sin may not be forgivable, whereas another one will be. And honestly, throughout church history, that's how they've landed on this often. Well, let let me just pick the sin that's unforgivable. And it's going to be the one that I'm not committing. Right? But that's not what he says. Our God is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our sins. What an incredible God we have. Because you know what? We're all going to sin today. We're probably going to sin tomorrow. And the point of this is not shame. The point of this is not for us to be beaten down and pushed down. And you, you, Right? Like The point of this is that we actually see ourselves for who we really are in light of the cross. Because if we deny that we have no sin, then Jesus' sacrifice was for nothing. But the reality is is that the way that God secured our forgiveness and our salvation is by humiliating himself. He came down from heaven as a man. And I think we skip by that one often. That's humiliating to the creator God. I know that's all we got, but, but to him... That's the humiliation. Go back and read Philippians 2. That's the humiliation of Christ. We're not talking about him being embarrassed, walking around in the streets and being rejected. That's not the humiliation of Christ. The humiliation of Christ is that he brought himself down as a servant and served us and died for us. That is the extent to which our God went in order to remove all sins from us, to give us his righteousness. And that's why we can say that he is faithful and just 
to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness because it's not that we are now perfect. It's that we have Jesus' righteousness bestowed upon us because that is what he came to do. So what's unforgivable? Nothing. But let us be repentant. Let us come before the throne of grace and agree with God and say, God, reveal my sin to me. Allow me to live a life for your glory and not for my own. Let me pray.